I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. How are you doing, listeners? Adam Buxton here. Thanks so much for joining me for another podcast. I am out in the East Anglian countryside on a beautiful, quite warm, breezy afternoon in early October. Is it early? No, it's sort of getting towards mid-October. And I'm just sitting on a fence. You can say I got no sense. Trying to make up my mind really is so hard a thing. I'm just sitting on a fence. It's a bit of Rolling Stones for you there. Rosie is off gambling in some nearby field. So I thought I'd just take a little rest here and enjoy the warmth of the sun and the breeze. So listen, before I tell you about this week's podcast, here's a very quick message for podcasts based in Los Angeles, America. I will be bringing the Bug David Bowie special to the Vista Theatre in Los Feliz on Thursday, the 16th of November, 2017. The Bug Bowie special features some of my favourite Bowie music videos and related comedy nonsense in the form of specially made animations, choice YouTube comments and wonderful music. Uh, There's one bit of singing. So check the events section on my blog, adam-buxton.co.uk, or my Twitter feed, at Adam Buxton, for details and tickets. So I hope to see some of you out there in November in La La Land, or Get Your Creepy Hands Off Me Land, as I believe they now call it. Anyway, let me tell you about podcast number 52, which features a conversation between myself, Steve Pemberton, and Reese Shearsmith. Two brilliant actors, comedians, and writers, best known as half of the League of Gentlemen, along with Jeremy Dyson and Mark Gatiss. The League first entered the public imagination 20 years ago now, when their radio show and then three BBC TV series breathed new life into the world of uh, sketch comedy. And they did that, I suppose, by being one of the first people I was aware of to create a whole universe, a little microcosm in the form of Royston Vasey, a village populated by characters that were often quite grotesque and dark, but so well performed and funny and surprising that the show, of course, quickly acquired a huge army of pretty obsessive fans. The third and last series of The League of Gentlemen aired in 2002, and since then, Mark and Reese and Steve have been in constant demand as actors in TV and film productions as diverse as The World's End, Edgar Wright's film Sherlock, Hunderby, Happy Valley, A Field in England, Benidorm, Taboo, Wolf Hall, Doctor Who. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then, of course, Jeremy Dyson's been off writing all sorts of bits and pieces as well. And all the while, Reese and Steve continued to write and perform together in their shows Psychoville and the anthology series Inside Number 9. Earlier this year, it was announced that Reese, Steve, Jeremy and Mark would reunite 
to make three brand new episodes of the League of Gentlemen for the Big British Castle. I spoke to Reese and Steve in front of an audience of live human beings at the second London Podcast Festival that took place in September of this year, 2017, at King's Place near King's Cross. And uh, we had a good time. We talked about the League and Inside Number 9, Psychoville, writing, reuniting, and much, much more. But before all that, we dealt with an important question that I, and probably Reese and Steve, though for different reasons, get asked quite a lot. Here we go. Right, so I asked people on Twitter yesterday if they had any questions for you guys, and I have never seen my Twitter feed quite so busy, literally. It was, I was overwhelmed, and I've just picked out a few. Here's one that caught my eye from Dwayne Smith. He said, pretty sure the words, my wife, will make an appearance. The phrase, uh, me describing my wife as my wife, as a kind of robot man, um, have become a staple of the podcast and people I think are confused though some people think it's a reference to Borat other people think it's a reference to uh, League of Gentlemen so anyway there, there you go <laughs> what is it a reference to? it's a reference to myself and Joe were talking about looking for keys and I was characterising myself as a kind of robotic stupid husband lecturing my wife about you should leave your keys in the same place, otherwise they will always be lost. <laughs> I, all, I have a place for my keys and I always leave them there. You should do the same. <laughs> my wife. And that's where, that's where that came from. Where did your my wife... What was the first thing that came with, with Papa Lazaru? What was the first bits of wordage? We'd written this sketch about a guy turning up at somebody's house and trying to sell pegs and going to use the toilet... It was um, a home invasion sort of scenario. Yeah, and, and then Reese went to the toilet and I was sitting there waiting for him. It was, must have been quite a long time. And suddenly, when he came back, I went, I, I know what this is. The woman who's been left is going to go, please, you've got to help me. He thinks I'm his wife. And he collects wives. He collects these women and just takes them off. And we went, yeah, that is just so bizarre and unexpected. And we're always looking for, you know, we very often start off writing a very conventional sketch and we're always looking for that left turn uh-huh. and you can't force those things you've got to wait for them to come to you so you know Reese needs to go to the toilet more My often wife. yeah apparently I don't remember that at all <laughs> and when you were sitting there writing that sketch were you already doing that voice well the voice was our landlord and he was called Peter Papalazaro that was his name <laughs> and he was a Greek man and he used to ring i am tell this story a million times but he would he's back like that <laughs> And he was very insistent one day about, um, he, kept, he left a lot of messages on our answer machine about a hoover that he had for the flat. 
I got this horse I've been longing to eat. And then he's like, this is just a saga now. Get me a ring stamp about this whole thing. And so, and he kept, and it was just his end of streaming. Beep! Ah, oh, this is just a wet up. I got a whole thing. And the other thing was, Steve had done the contract for the flat. He didn't really know I existed in the flat. It was like flat sharing, but he just thought, Steve is the one on the lease. Let me deal with him. So you'd always ring, I can't step down. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's Reese. I want to spend a stand. <laughs> well, I, you can speak to me, I'm gonna speak to Stan. <laughs> so that was, that sort of found its way. But it's the combination of sort of gruff menace and slight sexiness as well. Ah, <laughs> speak to Stan. <laughs> and sort of saying, belanging. Yeah. Did he sort of say belanging? I'm not sure if that was... He that. did. We, he yeah, belanging, belonging to. Yeah, he yeah. did actually about the Hoover, yeah. Uh, when we did the original sketch, it was, hello, Steve. It was all the way through, Hello Steve, and we thought, we'll just change that to Dave. Right. I've heard quite a few people saying, oh, that's why the Dave channel is called the Dave channel. <laughs> yeah, they thought it was no, a sort yeah. of name. Well, it, it sort of came out, Dave did happen after the League of Gentlemen, so maybe it is, but I'm sure that, you know, there, there, we didn't invent Dave. <laughs> <laughs> as an as idea. <laughs> so I've got a few more uh, questions here. Junior Boogie says, My grandparents were once on BBC Local News with the caption, Proud Royalists, under their name. What's been the most embarrassed you've been? I try not to put myself in any situation where I can be embarrassed. <laughs> Have you been embarrassed? I've definitely been embarrassed. But I think that maybe the time that sticks in my mind, my brother's going to kill me for this, is when we were little boys and he was caught short at a bus stop, but not for a number one, for a number two. Oh, mate. We were only about, literally about two minutes from our house. <laughs> and, and he did a poo in the bus stop. It's my brother Lee, Lee Pemberton. And, um, and my mum sent us back with some newspaper to bring it home. And there was somebody else at the bus stop. But uh, I was pretty embarrassed then. Wow, that's amazing. And did he, whereabouts in the bus stop did he go? Corner. Corner, yeah. He's, yeah. Not, Corner. he's not an animal. No. <laughs> it was one of those 70s bus stops, not one of these modern see-through ones <laughs> with adverts on. It was a proper, really scary, bunker kind of bus stop. Yeah. Which had all kinds of things in the corners, dead foxes and moss and everything. So it kind of, it, it suited the ambiance having that. And you, so you went back and said, who, who was it that told your mum that it had happened? Me. Yeah. <laughs> Me. And I paid the price because uh, I had to go back with him to make sure he did it. I didn't do the picking up or the carrying, but... But the consistency was such that it was possible. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Clarified that. You both have children now yourselves, right? We do. Yeah. yeah. Not with each other, but, no. you know, uh, independently. Yeah. Are they old enough now that they, they ever embarrass you in any way when you're in public? Mine are just now embarrassed generally of me, yes. Yeah, so okay. uh, They're embarrassed of you, but you're not you. embarrassed Anything of them. I say, oh, it's just all path you're pathetic. <laughs> I try not to talk to them anymore, if I can help it. Yeah. I heard a story about a friend of mine who was in a park with his children, and they were up somewhere like Queen's Park, you know, lots of yummy mummies and posh dads <laughs> and stuff, and, and their child... Um, at one point screamed loudly, Oh, we're not going to bloody Antigua again, are we? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's another question for you. Darren Brown, the, the famous mentalist, <laughs> says, 
Can you ask, out of the four of them, which, is, which one is best? <laughs> best. Most talented, <laughs> etc. Etc. Et what is etc. Et that's the funny part. Most talented, best looking, etc. All the other things. This that is Mark presumably is about best. the League of Gentlemen, the four of us. Yes. So where is Mark and Jeremy? Where are they right now? Mark flew to LA today to the Emmys for something called Sherlock. <laughs> And uh, Jeremy is... I don't know where Jeremy is. He's probably in... Yeah, he lives in Ilkley. He lives in Yorkshire, so he's not here a lot. Although we've been seeing a lot of one another because we've been writing these new shows. Yes, we're going to talk about. Yeah, so Um, that's where they are. But they're both happy and... uh, Yeah. That's good. Quite a few people have asked. I think with any double act or, you know, if, if, a, if it's a team of people, I think people must assume that there's a lot of political maneuvering and anxiety about who is pulling their weight, who's not, who's most celebrated, who gets all the attention. It's a thing that happens in music as well, of course. Has that ever been a problem for you guys or is it fairly democratic? It's always been really democratic, to be fair. I mean, we, the, you know, myself, uh, Reese, and Mark all uh, met each other at college. Bretton uh, Hall. At Bretton Hall. Yeah. So we already had pre-existing relationships and, uh, and then met Jeremy through a mutual friend of ours. And we only ever wanted to do it uh, for fun, really, just, just to en- enjoy it and, and to spend time together. And honestly, and, and uh, still with Reese now, <laughs> how many years later? Like nearly oh, no. 30 yeah, years 30, later. Because yeah. we, obviously, after League of Gentlemen, went on to do Psychoville and um, Inside Number 9. And, um, you know, you can't fake that. You can't keep that going for 30 years. And the fact that we've, the four of us have come back together, and we've been dying to do it for ages. We thought this was a really good year, because it's 20 years since we did our BBC uh, Radio 4 series. Mm-hmm. But I can honestly say that there's been no rancour Whatsoever. It's a boring answer, but it, I think it would have been harder. Thank you. We would have r- God. <laughs> Everyone's a No, critic. no, I don't mean boring. Uh, what I mean is. <laughs> fucking hell. I'm just going to the toilet. Uh, you know, I not there's not juicy argument. Yes. We don't argue. We would have argued more had it not worked out, probably. You know. And I think your, your roles were all quite clearly defined. You were all bringing something fantastic to the table, each one of you as individual performers and all the characters, there were so many memorable ones that you all did. It's not as if one of you regularly did all the boring characters or something. And then Jeremy was always behind the scenes writing with you. He writes with Mark, is that right? Yeah, 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 we tend to write in two pairs. Jeremy did, in the very, very early days before we were the League of Gentlemen, did some performing with us. Oh, did he? And it was su- suggested that uh, perhaps the ones that had trained and done three years of BA honours drama should be the ones who carried the acting. <laughs> and Jeremy took it in good stead. He thought, actually, now you're right. I'd rather sit at the back and play tapes, do all the lighting cues and, and write. It fell on his own sword. Okay. Yeah, he said, I, I think I'll, I'll not do the acting anymore. So yeah. We were like, yes, correct. He does crop up. <laughs> so he's never tried to wangle his way back in? No. No, 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 definitely not. God, we wouldn't have him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's another question. Do you want to go to the world of political correctness? Oh, yes. Papa Lazarou, in the current political climate, this is from Darren Locke, would you consider this character to be a modern example of blackface? Thoughts. I mean, in general, though, it is quite a radically different world, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, people's sensitivities about all sorts of issues are quite different and more, uh, you know, finely tuned than they were yeah. when you did your last Well, series. they were and they weren't, because we, I remember very clearly when we did that character, 
BBC wrote a like an explanation of it on a piece of paper, and it was given out to reviewers and things like. So you were heading them off at the past. Yes, you were thinking that, about it then. Yeah, or they were. We, they were. I remember genuinely think when we wrote it that the blackface was an extension of the carnival thing. It was like clown makeup to us, and that was why. So it wasn't ever sort of, and I never ever got a complaint. Chinnery and the animals got more complaints. Chinnery and the animals killing right. the animals. Yeah. Yes. 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 That makes sense. I mean, I, it never crossed my mind that Papa Lazarou was supposed to be about race. No. It was just a weird guy from some Yeah, it was sort of as, as much as we could do to create sort of fairy tale, sort of child catcherish character that would sort of haunt your... I mean, they'd copied it on the Babadook, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. But anyway, that's another matter, honestly. <laughs> But the thing that didn't exist back then is all this, all this Twitter, all this sort of people instantly being able to talk about it. And I, and I think that it does enable people to get together. And maybe we will look forward to having more complaints this time round because we were a bit disappointed we didn't get that many complaints. We thought, what have we got to do? Yeah. We buried a kid in the front garden, <laughs> breathing through a tube. We killed all kinds of animals and we barely got a complaint. Yeah. So come on, great British public. Well, don't speak too soon. I mean, would you engage with them? You're on Twitter, right? I am, yeah. Are you the only member of... No, no, Mark is as well. No, Mark is and Jeremy is, yeah. I mean, I've seen Mark getting in scrapes for comments that he made about the casting of a black actor as Bond. I don't want to open the whole can of worms up again, but that, that sort of area that people get very upset about the whole issue of whitewashing and, uh, or not casting uh, people of colour when you could, or I don't know what. Mark got embroiled in that for a short right. space of time. Well, I do respond to people. I, get, I, I just find them and I tell them off about what... I, I, was, <laughs> I, I will very happily explain why they're wrong. You know, so um, people, I think people don't expect that I will reply, but I often do, and they go, oh, my God, I didn't mean it. It's like, well, think about what you're fucking saying. <laughs> <laughs> Have there ever been times when you felt... Actually, that's fair enough. That's a, that's a reasonable criticism. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you can't... Very rarely. You, <laughs> you can't sit and write comedy thinking of everyone's different opinions. It's not, it's not designed to upset individuals. So you can't know what everyone's individual circumstances are. You would be trapped not doing anything if you began to think, go down that route, I think. Uh, Anorak Zone says on Twitter... How do they feel about the trans character, Barbara, the taxi driver, looking back in hindsight? Is Barbara someone we're going to see again? God, it's like Newsnight. I thought this was going to be like, do you catch phrases? Andrew Neil? Exhausted. Uh, no, I mean, this, trial this, at Nuremberg. <laughs> this, uh, this is all part and parcel of this, uh, the previous question, really. Yes, it, it is, it, yeah. It's something we have talked, talked about and talked a lot about, and we're not going to give any details of which characters But you, I'm interested on. to know that you, you have these conversations. Oh, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're not monsters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably we have taken on board a lot of those societal changes, and it's really weird now for us going back to something we created 20 years ago and recreating it, but at the same time making it right for a modern audience, so... It's been hard. Right, let's go again. What don't you fucking understand? Kick your fucking ass! Let's go again! What the fuck is it with you? I want you off the fucking set, you prick! No! You're a nice guy! What the fuck are you doing? No! Don't shut me up! No! No! Ah, da-da-da-da like this! No! 
Seriously, man, you and me, we're fucking done professionally. So anyway, we've done these uh, three shows, and um, it's been really enjoyable. The good thing about it was it, it really flowed out of us, you know. It wasn't like carving out of stone. It, became, it, it came back very quickly and was enjoyable. We don't, like you say, we don't have to do it. We didn't really need to do it. And it was just, it's been real, I mean, we're filming, we filming it in two weeks, we start filming, and... Um, I'm really looking forward to doing it. It's going to be good fun. I think, you know, uh, for someone like Mark as well, who's done an awful lot of, uh, on the drama side, you know, the Doctor Who's, the Sherlock's and that sort of thing, I think he's really particularly enjoyed it because suddenly he's just laughing all the time, every day. And that, that's one thing that, you know, that we do a lot when we're working together. We just have a, a real laugh. And yeah, it might be at the M is, but he's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, he's not laughed. <laughs> we laugh every day. <laughs> He's got Sherlock, difficult, Cumberbatch. I'm not saying any more. <laughs> it does cross my mind sometimes when I see him in Wolf Hall or whatever it happens to be, and he more than once has played a similar sort of scheming, rather serious... Very uh, limited actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> But quite serious, yeah. so he doesn't get to goof around, you know. He really particularly, because we have carried on doing our sort of comic uh, shows, he really particularly has enjoyed this process. Yeah. And Jeremy as well, you know. So you've done three shows, you're going to do three episodes. Yeah. Half hours or...? Three half hours, yeah. Three half hours. When, half when, a series. When do you hope they'll go out? Christmas. Christmas time, yeah. And why, just, why, why not a full series? Just because you wanted to not... Yeah, I think we Kill felt yourselves. it might not fit. No, it wasn't that. I mean, in the end, we had a lot of material. We suddenly thought it could easily be a series, but we've, we thought it made it more special if it was just these three sort of... Uh... We wanted to do a one-hour special, essentially, and then as we started writing, the, the, the material was just c coming out of us, and we thought, well, let's just do three half hours. And, and we, we almost like want it to be like it's never been away. Like, yeah. you're going to sit down, and, and it'll feel very familiar. Will, will there actually be familiar characters in there that we've seen before? Not or? telling you. Oh. <laughs> Do you mean like Twin Peaks? Do you mean like David Lynch? We'll, we'll not answer any questions about it. All right. It's happening again. Did anyone watch it? I loved that new series. Twin Peaks, how yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. What else are you watching at the moment? Do you like, uh, uh, do you watch a lot of sort of episodic drama on TV? I don't. I have no time, but you do, don't you? You manage to watch everything. I, uh, yeah. Just got Netflix. But I haven't really... Got, it, it, it's just a bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you do that, that, that thing of, of uh, this is all new to me, but just clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking. And my mum was visiting recently and we started watching a movie. She went, it's a bit slow, this. And then I would put another one on. Oh, God, I'm not sure I'm right into this. And we couldn't finish a film. And I kind of think we, you know, that's part and parcel of... Where, where we're going with, with watching things. Yeah. You know, the, the idea that you would sit down and you had no choice because you couldn't even bother to reach over and grab the remote control. You, you watch the show for half an hour, and I do, I do miss that. But the, I, I, I personally love, I can't bear anyone speaking. I can't really, ideally, I'd be in the room on my own in the dark, and I would give the program my full attention. That's why it's nice traveling sometimes, you know? If you're traveling on your own, mm. take your laptop with you, and then you can watch any old shit you want. Yeah. You don't have to negotiate beforehand. True. Because now, as you say, it is torture sometimes when you've got more than two people together in a room and you sit down and decide to watch a movie you can be there for two or three hours trying to decide what you're going to watch mm. and then as you say it's 
the nerves for the first half hour of sort of looking around yeah. the room surreptitiously <laughs> yeah. at the others waiting for the first person to lean forward and go, is anyone else enjoying yeah. this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not too late to uh, try something else. To bail. Have you been watching Dr. Foster? No. Oh, mate. Don't watch that, no. It's really? so great. She's, she's amazing. Saran Jones. Mm. Unbelievably good. Did you ever see the Sally Wainwright thing she was in, Unforgiven? No. Oh, God, it's so good. You were, you were in a Sally Wainwright thing. Happy Valley. Hey, you were in Happy Valley. Yeah. Um, I loved it. And, Reese, you did a, a stage production with uh, Sally, is that right? Uh, with Sarah Lancashire, I did, didn't I? Oh, with Sarah Lancashire, yeah. that's right. Yeah, a musical with her, yeah. Yeah. What was it like working with Sarah Lancashire? She's another extraordinary performer. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I would, completely I mean, amazing vo- scene voice. That was what's incredible about doing that with her. She was great. And um, we did it for eight months. That was a long stint doing that play. Do you like doing those theatre things? No. No. Because I would think you get, once you get locked into it and you, it's just stretching ahead of you, the thing that always gets me is like, what if you get like a load of bad reviews in the first yeah. week well, and then you're locked happen, in it? for eight months? Yeah. I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it's hard. I mean, I've done two musicals. I did The Producers for a year. A year? A year. And what was the, what was was the weekly schedule like then? It was eight shows a week. And it's a massive, you know, I was playing Leo Bloom, so it was, I, the, I was the fittest I'd been ever. But I was totally fucked. It was like <laughs> dance injuries, you know, and you've got to drive. There's no recoup. You can't. I would not advise it. (laughs) (laughs) What was your average daily routine like then when you're doing a big, long production? Well, it sort of hangs over you. You feel like it's just two hours in the evening, but you've got this, about three o'clock, you start to think, oh, I've got to go in and do that that play. (laughs) (laughs) Go do that play. And and I'm fully aware that this sounds pathetic, because my brother is a trawler fisherman, you know, I, I never have any illusions that... What I'm doing is very easy, actually. You know, it's not, a, not what he does. It's a different source of stress. You've got that element of wanting to let it land every night. and That's how you keep it alive. You've got to try and deliver it fresh for an audience that haven't seen it and want to enjoy it. But it's a curious thing doing theatre. You get that strange collective thing where you can just tell the audience has turned against you. <laughs> and, but they've decided within the first minute, it sometimes feels. You go out and think, oh, and you look out, yeah, they're going to hate it. <laughs> And you somehow can tell, and uh, then, then it's difficult to sort of turn it around. You can turn it around, but... Uh, Have you ever done a play, Adam? Uh, not since school, no. Okay. I got an email over the summer from someone asking about whether I was interested in doing a part in an Alan Akebourne play. I think you did an Akebourne thing, didn't I you? I did a, a few years ago, I did an Akebourne, yeah. Did uh, the Absent Friend. There you go. I think it was even the same part that you played that he was asking about. Oh, right. With so it. you turned it down and they offered it to Reese. <laughs> oh, this was recently. <laughs> And I emailed back immediately and said, yeah, I'd be well into that. Haven't heard back. (laughs) I think I failed the too keen test. Oh, okay. And he's just like, oh, no. Or maybe he was drunk or maybe he was listening to a podcast and said, I think he'd be good as... as I'm going to email him. He'd be good. And then he woke up the next morning or he spoke to his colleagues about it and they're like, fucking, what are you you thinking? Have you seen The Persuasionists? Um...
I remember when I was filming with you on the uh, League of Gentlemen behind the scenes stuff, there was a theme, particularly with you, Reese, that you found the writing process quite unrewarding or just just hard just difficult yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like spinning plates i remember you saying yes yeah like pulling teeth i think i even said yeah it can be hard I mean, it's, but it's where you enjoy it the most isn't it because it is where you're creating it do but you I feel differently quite... about it now is it easier these days I think it's got easier yeah i think we was getting to our stride with writing the nines they're a puzzle because that we the bar is high with the twist endings and all that and the rest of it and just coming up with different stories each week is a, a job but um, what a great job to have. I mean, that genuinely is a lovely thing to do because anthologies, I mean, weirdly, I think it's coming back into vogue, the idea of the one-off story. Mm-hmm. There's more and more of them, it seems. I'm not saying we created that, like we created the word Dave. But um, <laughs> we did. The and, Dave um, channel. But yeah, so um, that, that, it has got a bit easier. Psychoville was hard to write. That was hard work because that felt like we were really... Str- not struggling, but we just wanted that thing of an overarching story and lots of strands and cliffhanger endings. And How do you feel about Psychoville now? Are you, did you f- feel that it wrapped up before it should have done, or were you happy just to leave it there? I think we were ready to do a bit more with it. Uh, we had killed off 90% of the characters, um, but probably it was the right decision. And you know, had it not been for us having this meeting where we said, you know, we either want to do a third series of Psychoville or something else, and they went, something else... <laughs> we wouldn't have done Inside Number 9. And to me, that's the thing that I'm really, really proud of. And I think you're always proudest of the thing that you're doing most recent. You know, otherwise, you'd be quite depressed, wouldn't you? That you're going to w- do more of those, right? Well, there's a new series yeah. that we've already filmed oh, that, right. that's going to be on within the next few months. Can't say when exactly. Yep. And it's possible there'll be more after that because it's, it can't get old it, by its very nature. I mean, you, know, you can't get sick of the story. You can't get sick of the characters. You get sick of the two same faces popping up every week. Do they um, show those in America? There's a thing called BritBox. Have you heard of this? No. No. Nobody has. <laughs> He's like, has it, have we got Amazon? Have we got Netflix? No, we've got BritBox. It's just Danny Dyer. Uh. It's, it's for pe- it literally is because it's for people who miss EastEnders. Yeah. And I think you get EastEnders, and to fill the gap up on the hard drive, they just put inside number nine on. Right. But some people are watching it. Well, what a fucking BritBox. Coming up next, more inside number fucking nine. <laughs> That's it for BritBox tonight. Fuck off. <laughs> Here is someone asking, John Rogers, this is, I'd like to know their retrospective thoughts on the League of Gentlemen film. How did, what was that experience for you guys like? Did that work out the way you wanted it to? Or do you sort of look back on it now and think, mm, I wouldn't have done that? Or We were fully aware of it being a film spin-off of a TV series and the unhappy nature of that very thing that's difficult to do when you've got a TV series. and You, you can see a, a real progression from the first two series, or, or, or regression, some people would say. But uh, we got more and more interested in narrative, and we got less interested in... It suddenly became quite easy to just come on and go, are you local? Mm-hmm. This is a local shop. For lo-. We, we really didn't want to go down the route of being catchphrase mongers and so when you see the third series which many people really divided the audience a lot of people hated that series because we took a a, a different uh, take on things we got more interested in story and narrative and character arcs and then the film again we just thought we could either dish up more of the same uh, from the TV show, or we can try and do something different. And it, it's sort of tangentially connected to the series, but it, in a way, it's about us as the writers really struggling to know which direction to go in next. Well, it was very meta before too many other people were doing that kind of thing. I you suppose, were yeah. playing yourselves being terrorized by your characters. Yeah. 
I think we just didn't do the easy, the easy option uh, mm -hmm. ever, and I, and, uh, and and I think that's probably we we can't you can't ever regret that. You can't ever regret that. It didn't do phenomenally well. It didn't launch us into sort of Simon Pegg-style uh, oh, action hero. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder when he would come into it. <laughs> are there any shows that you see, other comedy shows that are around in the that, that you've seen in the last 10 years that you've enjoyed? And Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I like Jim Bob. I've always liked Vic and Bob. Yes. And I got to work with them as well. That was an amazing, you know, I never, I even now pinch myself when I'm in their presence. Catterick was extraordinary. Yeah, that was great. That had some really strange moments in. I mean, really kind of lynchy and... Mm, very Twin Peaks. ...oddness. Yeah. They should repeat that. I mean, that was brilliant. Yeah, that came and went, didn't it, with BBC Three? Yes, I think so. I think it's anyone who comes along has got their own vision and you can see this is, this is, no one's tampered with this. No executives have tried to, like I said before, take the edges off it. You know, I really liked uh, Toast of London, for example, for that reason as well, because yeah. it's just, it's just one person, well, two people's vision uh, of, of a crazy world and a crazy universe that they've completely realized and inhabited. And that, that makes for the best comedy. Mm. Okay, here's another question from the Twitter sphere. From Patrick Ensor, do you laugh a lot when you're writing? I bet you do. <laughs> well, that's sort of connected in a way to the question about whether writing has got easier or not. But we do, yeah. We I do mean, we, we have a little office in Muswell Hill, and yeah. the, uh, it's just outside somebody's flat who, who I know. And they often say, I, I could hear you crying with laughter. But what they don't know is it's usually about what's going on in the flat, which we can hear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> When you're in your own home, and we, we wrote in each other's houses for quite a while, when you've got kids, you know, it's really hard to concentrate and block yeah. all that out. When it's somebody else's family and someone else's kids, you're fascinated. <laughs> so there's a whole little soap opera going on yeah. um, that we tune into. And we, we, play this, we play this sort of weird Harold and Maud game where whoever arrives first has to stage a death in the office so that when the other one comes in, they, they find <laughs> a corpse. They always find the one dead. And... Um, <laughs> It's just every something we day. do every single day. Every single day. And so one day I, I took off my belt and I put it around my neck and I got uh, the laptop and sort of opened it on my lap and had my trousers open and, and because I could hear these footsteps approaching. <laughs> so I lay back with my eyes closed. The poor woman who owns the, uh, the flats, who was nipping in to get some laundry, had the shock of her life. And, and I had to say, we play this game where, where one of us has to... No, no, please don't think that... I, oh. Too late. I can never fully explain. We play this game. <laughs> Everyone does it, don't they? <laughs> so, yeah, we laugh a lot. Yeah. It was funny because the other day I came into the office with two coffees and Jeremy was in our... He's never here because we didn't don't see him a lot of him but he was there strangling Steve's body <laughs> he's caught oh, he's, he's playing the game <laughs> here's a question from Graham Jenks would love to hear some of the script slash sketch ideas for League of Gentlemen that didn't make it because they were too dark or they scared the big British castle people always ask us that but there's very little that we have thought of that we thought oh that's too horrible I remember you thinking about having characters that were like mega fans, super fans, but then, oh, you yes. were, but then you were worried that some of your real mega fans might uh, identify too much or think that you were 
being cruel to them. We thought of an idea for Les McQueen. You thought it'd be quite funny if he was sort of stalked by creme brulee superfans. And I don't think we would have, we wouldn't have done that for fear of offending our own fans. I mean, God, you're always doing that. <laughs> I think I think it just didn't it just didn't end up. It felt a bit too meta. Yeah. Before we went the full meta, we didn't want to do half meta. And you don't want to antagonise someone to the extent that they end up ruining your life by just sort of being around every corner and sending <laughs> yes. you threatening messages. Well, that did happen, in fact, yeah. We did start getting uh, death threats to our agent. Uh, we have the same agent. It wasn't you, was it? <laughs> and um, I'm pretty convinced it was. there was a comment made by, by one of the members who isn't here tonight, he's in LA. And... Um, <laughs> He, he said something disparaging, about, uh, but very specific about one particular person. So it wasn't a general thing about fans, it was about this one person. And I'm pretty sure that person is, is behind the death threats. Mm. Remember when we got those weird Wicker Man dolls sent to us? Yes. We got dolls. I mean, I collect all these weird things. I, I didn't mind. I, I still got mine. But it was, <laughs> it was a bit creepy because it was sort of like an effigy. And there were like four different... Do they have our faces on? With our faces, With our faces on. on. Uh, Chiggy's got one in her office, who is our agent. She's yeah. got the salmon of knowledge from the Wicker That's Man. That's it, yeah. There's any Wicker Man fans it's out there with my face on. But also we had from a white witch, we had uh, oh, an, an eye. Yeah, yes. A picture of an eye, yeah. To wish me good luck. But that show that I did that night, I was terrified. I felt very vulnerable walking out. And especially when we used to walk out after shows, we'd always sign um, autographs for people. And don't get any ideas, by the way. Um, <laughs> we'd always sign autographs. And, and it could get a bit rough sometimes. And, you know, you'd got a bit jostled. And we didn't have security. We didn't have anyone looking after us. And you, you, you felt like, you know, some... Exposed and you were worried. It could be yeah. like the bodyguard, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I could be Whitney Houston. You'd be Kevin Costner. <laughs> and I would always love you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I can't imagine. That would be weird. I mean, you do only have yourselves to blame, obviously, for writing all, like, weird yeah, stuff. Yeah, I guess it's a certain mind, isn't it, when you create a world. It's like sci-fi, yeah. what we do. You get that thing. I'm the same. I'm about it. You know, I think we're fans of our own thing. I, I understand completely that getting completely in Like, me with Twin Peaks, obsessed with a show and wanting to know every in and out of what is meant by it. But yes. when you're on the receiving end of it, you just think, well, I sort of let it go at night. You don't. And you must. <laughs> uh, all right, here's another question for you. John Sutton. I worry my wife slash myself by regularly coming up with even darker endings. Do you ever rein yourselves in? Yeah, the bleakness, I suppose. Sometimes, well, can you ever be too bleak with comedy? Well, I'll give you an example of, of, I think, what he's talking about. We did an episode in the last series of Inside Number Nine called Diddle Diddle Dumpling, which is about a guy who gets obsessed with a single shoe he finds in the street. And the reveal at the end is that, you know, he's obsessed with pairing these shoes together because he had twins and one of those twins died, mm -hmm. as a, presumably as a baby. And, and then... Barra laughs. And... <laughs> And, and, and Reese had a line saying, you know, uh, one about putting, wanting to put the shoes and saying that they should be together. And people interpreted that as being, they should be together, i.e. I'm going to go and kill the other one. <laughs> and people thought that the ending that we'd come up with is that he had gone and killed his... Killed the other one and, and paired them by having... One and that was never in our minds. So we were like, who are these sick people? <laughs> John Sutton. <laughs> but it, it's quite nice in a way to have open endings and, and things that can be interpreted. And yeah, we're we big fans that of that. Quite joyful endings, haven't we? And hopeful endings as well in number nine. We hope that they're not all too bleak. And that's its own surprise when they're quite happy. The new series is, is actually quite upbeat, isn't it? And, yeah. and jolly. Yeah. 
people are going to hate it. <laughs> You've made me laugh before, Reese, with kind of bitter diatribes about watching people win awards. This is like back in the old days. I remember you ranting yeah, about it's stuff. Exactly like that. the same now. <laughs> Are you really, though, or do you find that, that um, you're happier with your oh. place in the universe? <laughs> Worse. <laughs> Worse now. Because it's going on too long now. <laughs> we have You've won loads no, of awards. not enough, never enough. <laughs> <laughs> Leaky bucket, never be filled. <laughs> Did you see Jim Carrey at the uh, Golden Globes? He was uh, introduced on stage as two-time Golden Globe Award nominee or... Winner, I don't know. And he, come, he comes on and he does a whole bit about, yeah, that's who I am. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. That's how I think of myself. And when I go to bed, I think two-time Golden Globe Award winner Jim Carrey is going to bed. And he's going to dream about being three-time Golden Globe. <laughs> and then he does a whole sort of weird rant about how insignificant everything that's happening on planet Earth is compared with the size of the universe. And does a whole sort of existential thing about how it's all meaningless. He's a nutcase. We we, we just had our uh, teeth cast for for the League of Gentlemen, you know, because of course we can't do our characters without some funny teeth. And the guy who did it was telling us that when he did Dumb and Dumber, he, instead of having a piece that you clip on, he wanted his own front tooth. He got it filed down, his actual tooth. He got it drilled down by the guys. And then afterwards, they, they gave him a... Captain. A, a captain. No He drilled way. it half off. I mean, that's not Daniel Day-Lewis doing my left foot. That's Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> he chipped his own tooth. Drill, had half of it ground down. Oh. If people had known that, he might have won three uh, Golden Globes. <laughs> I was talking to you before. There's this extraordinary film that's about to come out called Jim and Andy, uh, The Great Beyond, about the time when Jim Carrey was making the film about Andy Kaufman, Man on the Moon. And he remained in character as Andy Kaufman throughout the entire production, never breaking character, refusing to respond to anyone if they addressed him as Jim. They had to call him Andy. And he stayed, and he would kind of talk like this, like Latka from Taxi a lot of the time. And then other times, he, because Kaufman had all these other out-of-control characters, so he would sometimes be them, and he would drive a golf buggy into the side of the studio wall and just be drunk, like properly drunk sometimes. And it's incredible, the footage they've got, because there was someone filming this whole thing. Mm. And it, in fact, it was Andy Kaufman's ex-girlfriend was filming the whole thing. And they, the, the studio, I think, imagined that they would use it to publicize the movie when it came out. But in the end, they didn't, because in Carrie's own words in this documentary, they thought it made me look like an asshole. <laughs> but the whole film is a question of what your take on that sort of behavior is. But when you're watching it, you, you see some of the shots of the people around him, Milos Forman and Danny DeVito, who was a producer, and he was in the movie as well rolling their eyes at some of his behavior and just sort of, you know, and people just cringing with embarrassment a lot of the time, especially if you're a Brit, I think. Mm. Watching that sort of thing, you just think, don't do that. <laughs> what are you doing? That would have been a nightmare, I imagine. I mean, the, th- the thing is, days. yes, the thing is that you, you're confronted with the reality that Man on the Moon itself as a finished piece of movie making is fine, but it's not the best film ever made. Mm. And actually, 
Carey himself in this documentary makes the point that the behind-the-scenes footage is more interesting. Is actually the Andy Kaufman story much more in a much more convincing and realistic way because it involves real responses from people who feel maybe that was the long game they were playing, Adam. Maybe maybe the I first mean, one was a sacrificial. I'm design. prepared to believe Jim Carrey is a genius. <laughs> My wife is not. No. David Suchet, famously, when uh, he played Poirot, and he'd be talking to you in makeup in his very sort of RSC plummy voice, very deep, you know, bass profundo voice. And as soon as the moustache went on, he would, and then he would speak to you like that. But he wouldn't be in character as such as just talking to you as Steve, you know, but in that voice. And at lunchtime, I heard him talking to his wife. Sheila, you need to get the plummy in to, to look at the tap because it's very inconvenient. So he, he just wanted to have that process of once the moustache was on. Um, he told me a funny story. You gave him League of Gentlemen to watch. He hadn't mm. seen it. The next day, he, gave, he wanted to tell him that he'd seen it. He said, I thought I watched your CDs. He called them CDs rather than DVDs. <laughs> it's really funny detail. <laughs> I saw your CDs. They're lovely. <laughs> tickle me that he called see yeah. Right, I'll rattle through a few more of these Twitter questions if that's okay. Let's do quick fire answers mm-hmm. to some of these. Here's, uh, well, Catelyn Moran, the writer. Did they base tubs on my mother? Because it really seems as if they did. <laughs> Have you ever met Catelyn Moran's mother? No, I've met, met her. I think she's a brilliant writer. There's a, a small story. We went to Rottingdean. This is the first show we ever did, Rottingdean, little village just outside Brighton. Because Jeremy uh, remembered there was a wishing stone in the wall and you had to rub its nose and turn around and, and make a wish. And so we all made our wish. And as we were heading back, there was this little shop in the high street, wasn't there? And Mark said, oh, I'm going to go in and look at some fossils. It's a kind of, kind of rock and roll uh, stuff that we used to get up to. Mm. And uh, we walked into this shop and this woman couldn't take her eyes off us because there were four young men couple of them had baseball caps on. And she looked absolutely terrified. Um, <laughs> and, and she was kind of clutching at her cardigan. And w- when yeah, we walked out, she, yeah. we thought, oh, there could be a sketch in that. Yeah. So in a way, you know, going to, to, to the wishing stone d- led directly to the creation of Tubbs in the local shop. And that's where it came from. Did she have a similar voice as well? She was a bit haughty, wasn't she? Can I help you at all? It was just that absolute suspicion over nothing. Yeah. Why do people come in this yeah. shop Only they touch things. and look at things? I don't like it. If only there weren't customers, we could run this establishment. Yes. And, and that's what we tapped into, and clearly it's something that, that resonated with Happens people. everyone. They were the, uh, the parents of Brexit. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know what this refers to. Alison Hobbs says, any other plans to do another fourth wall-breaking reference as per the Guardian crossword and Riddle of the Sphinx? It was incredible. What is that? I, I don't get that reference, I'm afraid. Well, what it was, was on the... There's an episode of Inside Number 9 that was all about a crossword setter and filling in a crossword. And on the day that that episode went out, the actual crossword that was in and used predominantly in the episode was the Guardian's crossword that oh. day. Steve had set it. Right. So it was... You could have done the crossword in the day idly, and then you, if you'd have been watching in the evening, you thought, wait, this... I did this today. <laughs> So it was a nice... We didn't tell anyone until afterwards, and then it was revealed that it was the same crossword. Wow, that's great. So it was all linked, yeah. It was a nice... And how about Riddle of the Sphinx? That was the yeah, title of the episode. The, oh, I see, I yeah. see. Big fan, obviously. Um, anyway... Done his research. <laughs> I didn't like that one. <laughs> I, didn't like, I didn't like the title. Please ask about 
the head of their college's three essentials for an actor, says Colin <laughs> Dalgano. Well, that was John Hodgson, who was the uh, head dean or wherever he was of Bretton Hall College. And he used to be the and, um, three things are going to be his legacy is addiction, <laughs> articulation, and clarity of speech. <laughs> so you could say that. Day one, clarity of speech. about that that's funny um will helms says should i have taken this new job it's a lot more work with not that much of a pay increase and i've lost my london waiting <laughs> hashtag help waiting spelt w-e-i-g-h-t-i-n-g i'm not familiar with that phrase what's that you know london waiting no what's that so if you uh i don't live in london anymore Okay, well, if you were to move back, would you find that your expenses will go up, your travel expenses will go up, the money you pay to live in London, your council tax, all those expenses will go up. So you would need to have your wage weighted in the favour of living in London. So London waiting. This is useful stuff. Yeah. (laughs) It's public information film. Thank you so much. I mean, this is mainly why I got you in. I... I think Will has made a mistake because he's, you know, he might want to get back in, but he won't be able to get back in now. Richard Herring says, where'd you get your crazy ideas? <laughs> it's a bit of a Norm MacDonald uh, podcast nod there. <laughs> well, sometimes we just lift up our armpit and squirt some sun cream out <laughs> onto our ham hands. And, when you finish uh, sucking your own cocks. <laughs> and that's where we come up with the ideas. You know that, Richard. This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area. And spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code Buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. Yes. Welcome back, Podcats. Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith there. Thank you very much indeed to them for coming along to the uh, podcast festival when they were busy in pre-production for the new League of Gentlemen shows. Very exciting. I'll be watching when they come out this Christmas. Thank you very much indeed as well to everybody who sent in a question via Twitter for Reese and Steve. There were so many and they were all really good. Um... Sorry, I'm treating you like children who've entered a painting competition. 
but uh, they were really good and the standard was very high and you should all be pleased. There wasn't time to read them all out, but they were excellent and you'll all be getting gold stickers in your workbooks next week. Thank you so much. A few people have been asking about the status of the Adam Buxton app. A few is perhaps an exaggeration. I think maybe two people have asked. But um, it's coming along. It's nearly there. I would say a couple of weeks, probably. And it should emerge. It just Everything takes a long time in Bucklesville. So I've got a film recommendation for you, podcats. This is not sponsored or anything. It's just something I saw on the weekend with my wife. My wife. And uh, we enjoyed it. I was really knocked out by it, in fact. And it's called... A Ghost Story. It came out earlier this year. I'm sure a lot of you saw it and uh, heard about it at least. Directed by David Lowery. I haven't seen any of his other films, but they're supposed to be quite good. And A Ghost Story stars Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck as a passionate young couple unexpectedly separated by a shocking loss who discover an eternal connection and a love that is infinite. I think the thing that you will have uh, seen if you've seen anything about it is the image of Casey Affleck wearing a sheet over his head with a couple of eye holes cut out like a cartoonish ghost. And he spends most of the film like that. You know, it's not too much of a spoiler to say he plays a ghost in the film. But this device of having him just be uh, almost like a pantomime figure of a ghost is incredibly effective and unsettling. I thought so, anyway. I was just looking at some reviews for the film, and they're, they're, I mean, mainly positive, but everyone sounds a note of caution, or at least a lot of reviews do. Uh, This is a variety quote. A ghost story could actually be better suited to a museum setting where this intermittently effective conceptual experiments patience testing approach might be most appreciated well patience testing maybe it depends what you're in the mood for it's quite slow moving sometimes and he uses a technique of holding locked off shots at certain points at the end of a scene the director for much longer than you would normally expect, so that they then become, I suppose, a bit more arty and experimental. But you'll be all right. (laughs) I I don't know if that tested my patience. It tested my amusement a little bit. But overall, I thought it was great. I really did. And it's very moving. Um, And, as I say, quite unsettling in a very interesting way several times. Rooney Mara is very good. I mean, you know, Casey Affleck wears a sheet really well. Um, I recommend it. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thanks very much to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for production support and Matt Lamont for audio editing skills. And I hope you'll join me again next time. Take care. I love you. Bye! Come on, Rose. Let's go home. Like and subscribe.